Good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll be having our chat with Christina Sikiotis, that Minute on Innovation. Can I have a look at Apple again because they've got some very great innovative ideas. Also talking with Alexander Gallimore from AV Chartered Accountants about a first home saver account. But right now, we're going to have a chat with Craig McGregor from Retain HR about outplacement. Good afternoon, Craig. G'day, Julian. How are you going this afternoon? I'm well. Thank you once again for joining us. Uh, not a nice subject, outplacement, but probably one that's uh, very topical at the moment. Uh, what is career transition or outplacement programs? Yeah, you're exactly right. It's, it's, it's not the greatest thing to be uh, chatting to people about and um, very topical at the moment with the downsizing that we're having happening in our region. But, um, yeah, a career transition program is essentially uh, where an employer provides the opportunity for their down, down, uh, downsized employees to chat to um, an industry expert around um, you know, getting themselves ready for their next opportunity. So unfortunately they've been uh, removed from that work site and uh, there's some assistance there to help them to um, to get into the next job. So, so it's a situation really where you're not just leaving it up to the employees to find their, their own job, the, the uh, employer is taking uh, active steps to help them. Yeah, that's right. And it's, look, if you, if you look at it holistically, it's not only just the employment side of things. You know, we, we talk to people around, um, uh, you know, some, some of the emotional, um, baggage or the emotional side of, you know, losing your role or using, losing your identity. You, you know, some people that have been with organizations for length, lengthy amounts of time, mm. uh, it's a big part of their life. So, yeah. um, the first component usually is that, um, you know, talking to people around that headspace type stuff and getting them prepared to, I suppose, move on and then um, yeah, focus on, okay, where is it that I want to go personally? And, and that's the, the beauty that I like about these sorts of programs is you get to help people and it's, uh, you can deliver all sorts of different methods um, in, in this sort of programs. It could be, you know, one-to-one or classroom-style um, programs that are provided by the employer. But when you get down to that um, one-on-one type situation, each individual is different and, you know, finding out exactly what they're looking for, what their experiences are, and then, okay, where do they want to go to? Mm. Um, being able to help, that's, you know, it's quite rewarding. So, so what would be the benefits for an employer? Why, why would they want to do this? Yeah, it's, it's a pretty good question. I think the, uh, the benefits for the employee are pretty obvious there, but for the employer, I think it, it shows, particularly if you're not, you know, downsizing totally, if you're still going to have staff um, on board once you've made the decision to restructure, it does show to the people that are staying that, you know, hey, we're a, a, an employer that looks after the people um, that are leaving our organisation. We're treating them with dignity. We're treating them with the same respect level that we're, we're treating the guys or girls that are staying as well. And it also, I suppose, it showcases to the, the wider um, employment market or the wider community that, hey, you're an employer of choice, even though you are downsizing you're still looking after those employees and trying to look after them in the best possible manner um, so that you, when you do need to recruit again, um, those sorts of things would linger in someone's mind to say, you know what, that's the kind of employer that I want to work for because they'll look after me even in, in the bad times. Yeah, and uh, you said that the benefits for the employees are fairly obvious, but uh, mm. there's probably some other benefits in there. For example, uh, people within networks could help find a work whereas you know, it might not be in the newspapers. Absolutely. That's that's one of the core things that um, I educate people around when we do these programs is that um, you know a high percentage of people will use their own network to source their next career opportunity. So we really look at those targeting strategies and finding out 
you know, who is it that, that you do know and how can we leverage off that to go and source a role and look with today's technology, utilising LinkedIn and some of the other social networks is becoming a, a huge part of the education process for individuals who are being downsized and transitioned. And um, I hark back to a really good example that I, I worked with a lady last year who had been with an organisation for almost 30 years and when we started to talk to her around um, yeah, her next career, um, it really we really had to step back and start educating her around how the marketplace has changed in 30 years because mm. you know, Seek didn't exist back in those days and uh, LinkedIn and all these places. So you know, her vision of picking up Saturday's paper and looking for a role, um, she needs to get education on how to... Um, how to apply for a role or how to seek out those roles on, on various mediums. And I think the uh, statistics I read the other day was that almost 80% of all em- employment now is being done over the internet. Yeah, yeah, and I, it's only going to get higher. Well, that's right. So so uh, just a little bit off the track there, uh, mm. with with the, the downsizing, as you say, in a lot of the local areas, yep. particularly because of the uh, slowdown in the mining, uh, yeah. is that relieving our skill shortage problem that we were talking about about a year ago? Yeah, it's definitely changing supply and demand. So um, if you take like um, engineering sphere, which is an area that I'm, I'm passionate about and knowledgeable about, um, uh, the supply and demand uh, characteristics of that area has changed dramatically over the last, say, six months where, um, you know, companies were jumping over each other to get to certain skilled engineers, whereas uh, I suppose sitting on the fence is probably the best way to describe it at the moment, where they go, you know what, that project, we don't know if it's going to come to fruition, so we might just uh, keep our status quo in terms of employment. Um, so all the guys that have been downsized, some of those people are um, not struggling to find work, but I think struggling to find um, the right work for them or comparable work to what they're probably used to. So it, it is definitely a different um, marketplace than it was uh, three, six months ago. Does that, is that affecting the way people are being trained now? Um, I, I, I haven't seen that at this stage, but okay. I, I'm, I'm guessing it probably will. I just, yeah. It just depends on, on, on um, individual employers. Like you look at some of the, the bigger companies that are downsizing in those mining Industries, you know, some of the factors that are involved in that are just mining. So if you look at Rio Tinto, yes. for example, you know, the, the reason they're downsizing is mining on, on the back of, um, you know, a bit of a poor business decision with purchasing Alcan and the losses that they made from that. So the decision over in London and, and some of those other places where their headquarters is to, you know, slash costs and that comes at the cost of, of our coal operations. Mm-hmm. So, um, but the trickle on effect, I suppose, to that is that the projects that they no longer uh, are moving forward with impacts all of the, you know, the, the small to medium businesses in Newcastle, Maitland, the Hunter regions that, you know, drive, project, manage, build, do all the work involved in constructing those projects. So right. I well, suppose it's wait and see. Well, thanks for your time again, Craig, and uh, we have podcast again if you want to pass that on to your uh, audiences. Perfect. Thank, Thank you again, Julian. We'll talk to you another time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers, mate. Bye. Craig McGregor there from Retain HR. Yes, uh, a little bit sad at the moment, obviously seeing a lot of that downsizing, but uh, we take care of people. Um, a lot of them will find the right opportunities. And you're listening to Business, The Law Renew on 2NURFM 103.7, thanks to our sponsors, AV Chartered Accountants. It's 24 minutes past one, and it's time to pop over to AV Chartered Accountants, where Tony's not there today. We'll be talking to Alexander Gallimore. Good afternoon, Alexander. 
Good afternoon, Julian. How are you? I'm very well, and, and nice to have you on the program again. Nice to be here. So, so we've got an interesting subject here: first home saver accounts. What are, what are these? Yeah, that's right, Julian. Now, the first home saver account is a special type of financial instrument which is designed to help people with the purchase of or building of their first home. Now, it's offered by any number of financial institutions, certainly offered by the, the big four banks and, and uh, other credit unions and, and building societies as well. So, so uh, what are the benefits of one of these accounts? Well, the benefits of this, this account is it makes it very, very easy to save to buy or build that first home. So a couple of quick facts. The, all the interest earnings on the account will only be taxed at a rate of 15%. So mm-hmm. you won't need to worry about putting that interest in your tax return. The, the financial institution you hold that account with will just pick up the tax and pay that on your behalf and then often send you a bill for that. But that will be at a lower rate of tax than normal. And secondly, any um, contribution you make to your account, up to $6,000 per annum, will be uh, met at a rate of 17% for every dollar by the government. So there's an extra contribution there which can help you save towards that first home. So as with all of these sorts of uh, accounts, there would be some conditions attached to that? That's right. Now, it's obviously not money for nothing. You you must um, obviously not have owned a prior house. Uh, in order to access this this first home saver account, as the name would sort of give away. Uh, You must be aged between 18 and 65. Um, Your contributions into your account are capped at $90,000. So in other words, you can only put in yourself up to 90 grand worth of of, um, deposits. Now, at that point, the account still can earn interest, but you're prohibited from putting anything in yourself. And um, obviously it must be used, um, the, the proceeds of the account must be used in order to purchase your first home. If they're not, they will then be rolled over into your super fund and you can't access them until that point. Mm-hmm. Now, the conditions for, for releasing your funds uh, to, to purchase your first home, you must have contributed $1,000 for four years. Now, that doesn't have to be four consecutive years, but it does have to be $1,000 in a year for four years that you've held that account. Um, or if you've reached the cap amount in, within that four-year period, you must simply hold it for a four-year period with that cap amount. The only way to get those funds out to purchase a house before that four-year amount with that $1,000 contribution is if you're buying a house with another person who has met those conditions and then is also pulling money out of their own first-home saver account. So, so just let me understand that you can't touch the money really for four years. Exactly, yeah, yeah. but... Um, you know, with with all the benefits out there, yeah. it's it's definitely a much better way of saving for your first home than, than putting it in a regular savings account, particularly yeah. with that government contribution. And a bit of a bit of a forced saving, really, because you can't do much with it. It is exactly, yeah. Fantastic. Well, thanks very much for your time, Alexander. We'll talk to you again another time when Tony's not around. Pleasure, Julian. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye bye. Alexander Gallimore there from AV Chartered Accountants with those first home saver accounts. It's a, it's a great way of forcing us to uh, put that money away and not touch it, isn't it? And uh, if you haven't got into the birthday details in Todd's birthday box for May, do it now at 2NURFM.com or call the promotions hotline on 49216789 because this month you could win a year's supply of Gold Lounge tickets to the Reading Cinemas at Charlestown, a dozen birthday cupcakes from Cupcake Express. Uh, so please, uh, that's cupcakespresso.com.au. 
time to pop over to Christina Sikiotis for our minute on innovation. Good afternoon, Christina. Hi, Julian. How are you? I'm very well, and you're enjoying a coffee somewhere. I can hear that. <laughs> I have. I have really been at a business meeting, and this is the new way of doing meetings. Let me tell you. It is. Well, let's uh, look at a case study. We're going to look at Apple again today, I believe. Yeah, we are. Well, we haven't actually spoken about them for a while, and the competition is on at the moment with Samsung Galaxy yeah. 4 um, heading for their market share and BlackBerry Z10 that's come out. But it was interesting because my whole thought process was triggered because my daughter brought home a tech assignment this week and asked it, that asked her to investigate the design process, something that she can't live without. So she chose the i4 phone, um, and it reminded me of the process that, that Apple goes through with many of their designs. Now, Stringer, who was one of their industrial designers, described it as a family meeting where they literally sat around the kitchen table, swapped ideas, made up sketches, were brutally honest in their criticisms and their responses. And then the next step in the process was that the best sketches were then digitised and if they were good enough from there, they, were then, they went into prototype. Now, apparently, between 2003-2007, there were at least 40 prototypes for the iPhone and the iPad. That's a lot of investment and a lot of perceived failure. But every product starts with a design and apparently the designers are treated like, loyal, like royalty at Apple. And the other thing that, that really impressed me was that at some companies the design is second to the manufacturing process or the budget where Apple, have that's not the case at all there. The product is king. So mm. the designs are sleek, modern, they look good, they feel good. Even opening the Apple box, I don't know um, if you're aware, but they there were... Lots of um, practices, if you like. There was a person. There's a, in the marketing department. There's a room, and it's dedicated to packaging. And there's a rumor that before the new iPod was launched, there was an employee who spent hours every day just opening the box to see what the experience was like. So we've got the focus on the customer experience. We've got failure being seen as a step closer to perfection, and we've got the investment of time and money into achieving a perceived perfection. And I think that is. That, that sums the whole thing up. There's more information in the book called Inside Apple by Adam Lezinski. It's a very important process, isn't it? It almost reminds me of uh, Edison and going through a thousand ways of not making a light bulb uh, yeah, that's to a- get to the final right. answer, isn't it? Yeah, well, and, and with each mistake, he got closer to success. So with each failure, he got closer to success. Exactly. And I think we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, if you learn, it can't be perceived as a failure anyway. That's right. Well, thanks for your time again, Christina. We'll have a chat with you again next week. Okay, Julian, I look forward to it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Christina Sikiot is there with uh, that insight is to just take it one step at a time, keep working on those prototypes, and you'll get near to perfection. And that great example of uh, the customer experience. Well, thank you for being with me the last for the last half hour. I hope you enjoyed the program. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to be talking with Tony Vidray again from AB Chartered Accountants. Have that minute on innovation with Christina and, of course, some other tips to motivate you and improve your business. I'd love your company again at the same time for business, the law and you. Until then, have a safe and prosperous weekend. As Dale Carnegie once said, act as if you were already happy and that will tend to make you happy.